Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today's Wednesday, June 24th. The Dow is down, Florida's COVID-19 rate is soaring, and we're focused on what Bill Barr did or didn't do to snuff out a whole bunch of marijuana mergers. Earlier today, the House Judiciary Committee heard from three career Department of Justice officials turned whistleblowers, all alleging that Attorney General Barr abused his power. The one making the most headlines was involved in the Roger Stone prosecution. But we're focused on a different whistleblower, a guy named John Elias, who focuses on antitrust law. Elias alleges that Barr ordered the Department of Justice's antitrust division to do deep investigations into 10 proposed mergers of marijuana companies, even though none of those deals met the normal threshold to merit such investigation. This certainly is not the first time that President Trump's DOJ has been accused of letting bias drive antitrust decisions. But it is the first time that a DOJ attorney is the one making the allegations, and it could have consequences for other antitrust investigations in other industries, like big tech. So I spoke with one of the marijuana company CEOs cited by the whistleblower, and you'll hear that conversation a bit later. But before we get there, I would be remiss in not noting that while today's hearing was going on, Bill Barr agreed to testify in front of that same committee. That'll happen on July 28th. I caught up with Axios political reporter Elena Treen to ask her if today's hearing will inform what Barr gets asked next month. It'll definitely inform the next hearing. I think that the real impetus for Chairman Nadler asking for even saying that he would subpoena Bill Barr if he didn't testify, that was prompted by the Berman firing. But I do think that's what's happening today about the GOJ whistleblower testifying, as well as the former prosecutor for Roger Stone. All of those kind of play into what I think the committee is interested in looking at, which is, is Bill Barr abusing his power as attorney general? And is he politicizing the Department of Justice? That was Axios' Elena Treen. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Teddy Scott, who was CEO of one of the cannabis companies cited today in the DOJ whistleblower testimony. What did he know at the time? What happened? And how does he feel now that this information has come out? We are joined now by Teddy Scott, the former CEO of Pharmacan, the current CEO of Ethos Cannabis. Teddy, I'm wondering, when your last company agreed to merge with MedMen in October 2018, kind of negotiating that agreement, how seriously did you take the possibility that there would be an antitrust investigation? Most people at the time were thinking that it was not an issue, but we had a number of people on our side that were alert to it. And as we were negotiating the deal, people on our side were saying, you know what, we're going to have to make a, a filing. We took it seriously in terms of preparation of making the filing, but perhaps probably what you're really getting to is how likely did we think there would be some type of review? It was not anything that we expected whatsoever. Did your people think you should make the filing because, you know, traditionally antitrust reviews, it usually comes down to market share, right? A number and a percentage. Was it because your side thought you might be tripping that number or was it because you were involved in cannabis and you thought there was just going to be extra scrutiny on you at the federal level because of the business you were in? We thought that we hit the triggers to make what's referred to as a Hart Scott Redino filing. That makes sense. That had nothing to do with cannabis. That had nothing to do. It was just purely the size of the transaction. You do the filing and then you find out the DOJ is not just checking the box. It's not just giving you the rubber stamp and letting you move on your way. Talk to me from the person who was in charge of the company at a time. How big of a headache was the investigation and the paperwork you guys then subsequently had to fill out? 
there's actually a piece missing that people probably, at least for us, and I don't remember how many other companies got caught in this like we did. This was back during the shutdowns of like late 18, early 19. And one of those shutdowns made us, we ended up refiling. Actually, the Department of Justice reached out to us and said, you know, we're coming close to the deadline, but hey, we're in a shutdown. And you know what? Essentially, what it came down to is refile, restart the clock, because if you don't, there's going to be pressure on us to institute a review just because we can't do anything right now. and We need to go through our process. What we took from that conversation was we were going through the motions. We were going to reset the clock, which we did sometime. I think it was January of 2019 so that they could come out of the shutdown and start the process. And then what happened is in March of 19, the moment that happened, it was a tremendous amount of cost, time, energy that was essentially wasted. So let me fast forward now to yesterday. You see, or at least you hear about this complaint that John Elias at the Department of Justice files. He says that basically that the investigation into your deal and into nine other deals were politically motivated, not based on the merits or demerits of the case, were based on the fact that you were involved in cannabis. Were you surprised when you heard about that? No, because just about nothing surprises me. (laughs) It kind of helps where you see some of the clarity because there was a lot of stuff that didn't make sense. Everybody, antitrust is complex stuff. I mean, it's complex. But if you're looking at it, and we were trying to talk, you know, with our attorneys and even for the people from Department of Justice, there was a lot of work that was going on. And essentially, all the work we're doing is, guys, what are y'all doing wasting anybody's time with this worrying about antitrust is there off to protect consumers. It's all about you don't want any one party or any party being able to have control of the market because that can be bad for consumers. But this is an incredibly fragmented industry. It's in the early, early stages. No one knows what this thing's going to look like. And we're trying to talk with them. What are y'all doing wasting anybody's time here? All right. So right now at this moment, after reading that testimony or seeing it, you went through all that. Are you pissed off? For me personally, it's actually counterintuitive, but no, because if that had not happened, we would have ended up closing into MedMen. If you know anything about MedMen, they're in some serious problems. And they, at least for my company, I'm no longer the CEO at Pharmacan. I left there last year when I thought this deal was going to close. So I left and move on to do other things. I'm still a large shareholder, or my family is. So from a personal interest, I'm actually happy it happened. It saved my company. (laughs) that we didn't close into MedMen and get dragged down with them. MedMen said this when the merger terminated. Is it fair to say from your perspective that the antitrust investigation is the primary reason that merger didn't close? Everybody was waiting for that transaction to close. It had been planned for as if it wouldn't take that long. That killed the deal. There's a possibility that Bill Barr is going to be attorney general for the next five years. You are, as you say, you're a big shareholder in Pharmacan. You are now the CEO of a different cannabis company. Do you have concern for your industry? As you say, it's highly fragmented. Mergers and consolidation is almost going to have to happen. Do you have worries that it is going to be too difficult to consolidate if Bill Barr remains the attorney general? It's definitely a risk that's out there. And it's like everything has risk. You just have to assess it to the extent there's anything good about this. Now you don't have to guess. And so the way that businesses work is you just want to know the rules of the game and then you plan and account for them, regardless of whether Trump is reelected or not. Going to be a life cycle there. 
things will move on, the business will adapt. And the one thing that's happening in the cannabis industry is this is something that is an eventuality. It's coming. It's only a matter of when. And so, okay, if you have someone that is against it, as problematic as maybe Barr is, I think you ask anybody in the industry, they're happier to have him there than what it was with Sessions before. You know, the reality of it will catch up with everybody. Teddy Scott talking to us today from Southern Wisconsin. Thank you so much for joining. You bet. Thank you, sir. Welcome back. What we're watching today is facial recognition software, with Boston becoming the largest East Coast city so far to ban its use. This comes in the same month that Amazon, IBM, and Microsoft all said that they won't sell facial recognition software to local law enforcement until there are federal guidelines for how it can and can't be used. So why the uproar? Well, part of it's just good old fashioned American civil libertarianism, but it's also because there have been some horror stories. The New York Times, for example, today tells the tale of a Michigan man named Robert Williams, who was arrested for shoplifting based initially on a facial recognition match. The actual shoplifter reportedly doesn't look like Williams, except that they were both black men, but he ended up getting arraigned anyway before the case was dismissed, albeit without prejudice, which means he could get charged again. The bottom line, until federal guidelines are enacted for facial recognition software, expect more companies and local governments to ban its use. Today, we're also watching the tri-state area of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, whose governors jointly announced a 14-day quarantine requirement for visitors from nine states that currently have what they termed significant community spread of COVID-19. Among the states that applies to are Arizona, Florida, both Carolinas, and Texas. Put another way, that's some of the same states that used to be worried about an influx of New Yorkers. And finally, Disney on Monday released the trailer for the filmed version of Hamilton, the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical that it plans to stream beginning next month. One big question some fans had, though, was how it got a PG-13 rating because the stage version has multiple obscenities. So Miranda took to Twitter, saying that the limit for a PG-13 rating is one obscenity. So in his words, quote, I literally gave two fucks so the kids could see it. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Pralines Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.